Yes, Lord, we love you. Amen. Oh, thank you for the blessing Amen. of having your word, Amen. having these patterns, Amen. Lord, that you can speak to us from. Amen. We pray for tonight. Oh, even as we look at this pattern of Ruth, Lord, come to us. Shine on us. May we enter into the intrinsic significance of Ruth. What it is to join ourselves to you, to your economy, to recover the land, our inheritance. Lord, to be able to bring you to the earth, to participate in your incarnation. Oh, we thank you for this. Lord, even shine on us. We like to gain you, gain the land, even be on this land that you could come back. Oh, we could bring you back to this earth. Lord, bless our time. We're really looking to you to speak to us, to enlighten us, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wow. You know, this uh, subject is the... Old Testament patterns of sisters, useful to God for his economy. So we're mainly looking at uh, the three sisters, right? Rahab and uh, Deborah and uh, Ruth. So with Rahab, uh, she's in the book of Joshua. And uh, Joshua is a good book to read. Uh, You know, the beginning of Joshua It's kind of surprising that the spies went into the land in order to get Ruth, sorry, to get Rahab, uh, to get Rahab so that she could actually become an ancestor of Christ, to bring Christ. This was this was the goal they went in there. But when you read the rest of of uh, the book, it's about taking possession of the land that God had promised them. That was, that was the land that God promised to Abraham. That was the land that God told Moses to come out of Egypt, to enter into the land according to what God had promised. Um, and then uh, you have the possession of the land step by step through the book of Joshua, uh, which is exciting to read. And uh, you can see the Lord speaking and dealing Uh, Then you come to the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is very disappointing because it says that the elders who uh, were alive through Joshua's time were faithful. But those after uh, the ones who had known Joshua, uh, they degraded. And you have uh, the seven cycles in the book of uh, Judges that actually shows a continual degradation, a little bit of reviving, and then degradation. So it's if you just have Judges, you'd think uh, God's economy is over. You know, it, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't end in a positive uh, way. But you have the book of Ruth. There's like an appendix to it. It's in the same period. Ruth is in the same period. And in the book of Ruth, like, like it says in Roman numeral one, uh, the book of Judges, uh, sorry, Judges is a book of Israel's miserable history, dark and foul. Ruth is an appendix to the book of Judges, is a record of a couple's excellent story, bright and aromatic. The main character in this story, Ruth, is like a lily growing out of brambles and a bright star in the dark night. So if you if you look at it, it's like, well, this book is this incredible romance story. It's uh you sisters, you like reading Ruth? Huh? You 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 who are not married? You read that thing, where's my Boaz? You know, it's it's kind of nice. Uh, It's kind of exciting. Um, But if, and and we read the the first chapter or most of the first chapter, um, it it speaks of uh, Elimelech's uh, swerving 
from the rest in God's economy. Now, why does it say God's economy? Actually, the swerving from the rest, the rest represented the good land. You know, when when God promised uh, the good land, uh, he referred to it as a land of rest. You know, if, if you're a person alive on the earth and you don't have citizenship anywhere, you have no rest. And, you know, you have refugees, you have these, uh, they call them stateless people. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't have anywhere to belong. You know, New Zealand, uh, it's a little island in this big world, but it's our rest, humanly speaking. You know, it's like if you travel overseas and you meet a, another New Zealand or something, you're generally really happy. To, to, to see another Kiwi, uh, to, 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 to meet somebody. And if you've been traveling, you're kind of interested in all the different things, but so nice to come home. This is our land. And, you know, pretty much most wars are over land. You know, somebody reckoned, oh, you know, 300 years ago this part used to belong to our country, and then your country took it. We want it back. And, you know, that was Hitler. That was his justification of starting, starting the Second World War. He was wanting to get land back, uh, you know, to Germany. Most wars are over land. Okay. Even New Zealand, in our history, we have the period of land wars, you know, where the Crown, the British, were fighting the various tribes and, you know, to gain land. So, but when the, when the Bible talks about the land, the land that was promised, the good land, uh, it's described as a rest. If you were, if you were an Israelite in Egypt, would have you had rest? About slave, it'd be terrible. And so, so the Lord, his desire was to bring his people into the good land, and that good land was going to be a rest to them. That was going to be their home. Okay. And the the ultimate rest in the good land was under Solomon, where they built the temple and actually the God of glory came and filled the temple. And it was like that was the peak of Israel's history with no enemies, all the enemies defeated. They had peace. They had prosperity. They had the temple. They had God's presence. Praise the Lord. You know, that, that was the real rest. That was what God was aiming for when he called the children of Israel out of Egypt to bring them to the land which was to be their rest, where all of them would feel this is our home, this is our place, this is where our God is, we're worshipping him, we're one with him. This is, this is the rest. Now, in, in the ministry, uh, we have, we have um, a book called The All-Inclusive Christ. And this book is all about the aspects of the land, right? When the Lord described the land in Deuteronomy 12, he described it as a rich land um, with all the foods, the animals, minerals. It was, and all of this actually is a picture or a type of Christ. So when we're looking at this account tonight of, of Ruth, uh, with Naomi uh, returning to the land, consider it in this way. This is a picture of us coming back to enjoy what God has promised to us, Christ, as our full enjoyment. This is what this story is about. It's a recovery back to the enjoyment of the land. Now, 
if you look at Roman numeral two, it says chapter one of the book of Ruth speaks of Elimelech's swerving from the rest in God's economy. Now, you read the account, there was a famine in the land of Israel, and Elimelech decided to leave Israel and to go to Moab. Actually, it's kind of enemies. And, you know, Moabites were the descendants of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And the child was called Moab. And then the descendants became Moabites. And God's judgment was on that, that they would never be in the house of God. And for 10 generations, they would be blocked. So for, for a Israelite, a person who's, you know, bona fide, called by the Lord in the right place, to leave that was real degradation, real degradation. And, you know, you, can, you will find out uh, the consequence of it was very serious. But the word that the ministry uses here was Elimelech swerving. It's not like about turn. Now, those of us who have got driving license and drive, we know what swerving is. When do you swerve? We see an obstacle on the road, so swerve around it, right? Uh, swerving is, uh, is something you, you kind of think is necessary, you kind of think it's necessary. If there was a famine in the land, do you think it's necessary to leave and go to another country? Sounds logical, right? Sounds logical. It doesn't, doesn't sound, oh, you're really bad leaving the country. No, you're just trying to feed your family, trying to go out. But the interesting thing at the end of chapter one, when they eventually came back, Nomi came back, um, there were there were her old friends there. So some obviously stayed in the land in spite of the famine, and they were still alive. Like if the famine was really serious, they all would have died. But it wasn't that serious. Uh, because why would God call his people, give them a land, and then wipe them all out with famine? It doesn't make sense. But Elimelech obviously did not have a clear vision of what God's purpose was. And he was just thinking of his own interest and his own preservation, uh, the security of the family, uh, etc. He, he was just in, in that realm. Now, how about we apply that to ourselves? What is the rest to us today? Number one, Christ, right, and the church. That's where we have the rest, right? Have our rest. We have Christ. We have rest. The Lord said, come to me, all you who are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Christ is the rest, and the church life is the rest. So it's possible for us today in the church life to swerve. Just think, just think. What would make you swerve from Christ in the church life? Or let me maybe ask this way, have you ever swerved? Joyce, you've got that good seat on the front row, right? <laughs> have you ever swerved? Many times. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, okay. Can you make a little confession of your swerving? What, what have you swerved to? So you, you swerve from the church life to something. What have you swerved to? Okay, so let's take offenses. 
is it worth somebody offending you? Is it worth leaving Christ over that? Who has not been offended? You know, Paul says we offend in many things. Probably, probably some of you have been offended today by somebody. I hope not, but maybe, right? <laughs> okay, so you got offense. Then, then Joyce, you, you talked about Korea. So we, you, to be in the church is the church life. We have meetings, we have service, we have practice. But we're too busy because we're swerving off to a career. Okay. Now, you obviously have come back. Okay. So you swerved, but you came back. What made you come back? Yeah, it's true. It's true. We, we may think, we may think if, if we go this way, it'll make us happy. This is what we really need. And we go this way and we find it's still bad. It's actually worse than where we came from. Our swerving takes us away from God's interest and, and God's blessing. You know, the fact that in the good land they had a famine shows there's going to be times in the church life it's going to be tough. I've had tough times in the church life. I had one time in the church life. I stopped going to the meetings. I was so offended and so confused and so upset. And I worked from daylight to dark to stop me going crazy and just to occupy, occupy my mind, you know. And it's like, it's like, even though we have periods and incidents like that, um, we can't really leave. If you really leave, that is really serious. That is really serious. You take a little sila, take a little offensive break or something like that. Uh, eventually, you'll be led to come back because you'll be so dead. You'll be so dead. So, you know, in their case, they swerved because of food. Right? They went up because of food. Some, some swerve after money. or career, or family. Now, that's a legitimate swerving, you know, food, money, uh, a job. They're all legitimate, but all of them can be practiced in the church life. You don't have to swerve from the church life. If you find anything that you are practicing that's taking you away from the practice in the church life, just remember, you're swerving. You're swerving. You know, if the boss says, I want you to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, what are you going to tell the boss? No. You know, I, I love the story. This, this uh, young brother, he graduated with a double degree and he worked in a kind of a prestige a company. And then one day the boss called him in and the boss said to him, uh, what, what time did you uh, come to work today? And uh, he said something like like quarter to eight. And okay, yesterday, what time did you did you leave? Uh, half past five. He only had to start eight to five. And um, then the boss said to him, "Do you know what time I came in? Five thirty a.m. Do you know what time I left? Eight thirty p.m." And uh, he looked at the the young brother and he said to him. If you want to advance in this company, you have to live like that. And he said, he said, I don't want to live like that. And the boss said, you're lazy. He says, I'm retiring. I'm resigning. I don't want to live like that. Well, 
Why live? Why live a life that takes you out of the reality of the church life, of God's purpose? You know, you, you might say, "Oh, I better please the boss. I'll start at seven and I'll work to seven And and you know, in some countries, and I, one time I was in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And we were having a meeting. The meeting was starting at 8.30, which is kind of relatively late to start a meeting. And, um, and then after nine, uh, some brothers came in, and I kind of looked at my watch. And uh, one of the brothers who was with me, he said, he whispered in my ear, he said, they've just got off work. They haven't even had dinner yet. It was 9, 9.30. And so... The practice in some of those places is you don't leave until the boss leaves. It's a good way to get free labor. The boss just stays and everybody keeps working because the boss is still here. And, right? So that's terrible when you're in that kind of environment. That's taking you out of the church life. So I think we should, we should consider this. God promised to bring us into the land environments may happen that will cause us to swerve and get out of the land, get out of the enjoyment. Are you following? Do you think it's, it's a possibility that you could swerve and miss God's economy and God's purpose? Well, this is, this is the lesson that we can learn uh, from this pattern. Uh, of Ruth here in the book of Ruth. So uh, A says to A says, Ruth is a book of rest. The Sabbath rest is Christ as our rest, typified by the good land of Canaan. And you have that verse in Deuteronomy 12, 9 says, you have not yet entered into the rest. There was Moses telling them, you're not yet in the good land. You've not yet entered. He didn't say enter the good land, entered into the rest. And, uh, and then in Hebrews uh, says, if Moses had spoken, uh, he spoke of another day uh, of, of rest, implying not only was the good land a rest, but to come to Christ is the real rest. That's when our being is, is at rest, uh, when we have Christ and we're enjoying him. So the book of Ruth, you could say, is, uh, is a picture of a person coming back to the enjoyment that God intended for man to have Christ and the church as their home. So one says, in the Old Testament, a good land was a rest because the temple could be built there. The temple was the ultimate consummation of the entering into the good land by the children of Israel. With the temple, God could have his expression and his representation for his kingdom, government, and administration. So that reference in Kings is that uh, period where they had the dedication of the temple uh, with Solomon. And they, they had thousands of offerings. They had the whole of, of the people there. And uh, that was a, a glorious time of testimony. Eventually, God's glory came down, filled the temple. Even the priests couldn't serve. It's like God's presence almost became like physical. They couldn't even get in. His glory was expressed to such a degree. You know, brothers and sisters, when you have Christ, you have rest. But if you do not have the church life, you still don't have a complete rest. It's kind of interesting. When, uh, when we uh, first touched the church life in Los Angeles, they, they had a lot of songs, uh, very simple songs uh, about home, home in the church. Here I've ended my, my search. At that time in America, there were, there were just a few local churches, um, but there were thousands of denominations, um, probably tens of thousands, and people in all the denominations having this sensation, this is not it. This is not really 
satisfying. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to go. I've been to a number of places and they're all about the same. But the interesting thing is when they came to the church, they had the sense, the home. Oh, home in the church. Here I've ended my search with the brothers rejoicing all day. This is one of the songs we used to sing a lot in the early days because you are destined not only to have Christ in you to be your rest, but to be in the church life, which is his body, that you get a complete rest. You know, this is why I'm on the earth. This is the church life. It may be a scruffy group of people. <laughs> you know, it like the tabernacle. It didn't look that great. It had badger skin and porpoise skin. And, you know, it's just like a rough old tent in the wilderness. But it had God's presence. And so the church life, when we meet on the ground of the church, we honor the Lord and his presence is there. That's when we have the real, the real rest. So um, we have to consider going back, taking Ruth, her going with Naomi uh, to, to Israel was her entering into a complete rest. And because the story uh, shows the fullness of the rest she entered into. Okay, so look at two. It says, Christ is rest to the saints in three stages. In the church age, in the millennial kingdom, and in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and new earth for eternity. So what, what we're enjoying now is a foretaste of the full taste. You know, we have the pledge of our inheritance. It's like a foretaste. We enjoy Christ as our peace, our satisfaction, our rest. Is the millennial kingdom going to be less than that or more than that? It's going to be more. How about the New Jerusalem? Even more. It's the ultimate. It's the fullness. So we, we can see that there's, there's the rest that God's people enter into. If you have not entered into the church life, I can't imagine how you could enter into the kingdom. Can you? If you're not enjoying Christ now in the church life corporately, in the corporate expression, how can you be reigning with him in the millennial kingdom, in the enjoyment? You, you have to have the experiences now that you can have the fulfillment during the millennial kingdom. And that's why during the millennial kingdom, you have two aspects. You have the aspect of the overcomers being rewarded, reigning with Christ, and you have the period of discipline where ones who have not matured and grown develop. So our church life is not just for now. Our church life is to bring in the millennial kingdom is to bring the Lord back that his kingdom can be on the earth. And this is, this is the rest. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm in the church and I'm so happy. Even though I have had a few swerves, I straightened back up again and got back on the road and staying in the church life. You know, I know some who enjoyed the church life, even in the beginning with us, right in the beginning. One of the first brothers ever to contact me uh, came in the church life. Uh, he came with us the next year to uh, America. He, he, he was there. Uh, he visited a number of times. He served. He loved the ministry. But at one time, uh, he got distracted by considering uh, we don't have enough increase. And he, he heard about uh, Cho Yong-hee, the, the famous Korean mega church pastor, have uh, half a million in his congregation. Um, and uh, he, he started to read his books, and then he became an, a bit unhappy, went to Korea. And then eventually, when we went to Taiwan uh, for the training, uh, a couple of weeks later, he left the church. 
And um, you have to ask, where is he now? Where is he now? He's a person who's been in all kinds of groups. And I think the only fellowship he has now is with ones who used to be in the church. It's kind of interesting. Saints who have been in the church experience the real fellowship. When they leave leave the church, they end up, for some reason, I don't understand this, they end up hanging out with the others who've left the church. You know, at one time we were in the Brethren. We never, when we left the Brethren, we didn't hang out with them anymore. Another time we were in a Baptist. We left. We didn't hang out with Baptists anymore. We just went on. But it's like they stopped. Even though they left, there was something that couldn't separate them from the others who had left. And they talk about the church, not positively, of course, criticize the church, negative church, but they hang out with ex-church people. Yeah. How did that happen? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. But the, the sad thing, the sad thing is when you when you deviate from the good land, when you leave the church life, you can't go on. You can't go on. It's like God revealed himself, he re- revealed his heart, he revealed the church, uh, his the apple of his eye, what he's working on the earth to produce his bride. He revealed that to us. We leave leave it. What is there to go to? What is there to go to? Well, you can go and play music in a a happy clapping group or something like that. You you, you can do that, but you can't go on. And, um, you know, we came into the church life in 1970. So how many years is that? It's 50 years, right? 51 years now, since we've been in the church life. You could, you could, you'd have to agree, we've had some kind of experience, right? 50 years. And I have observed people who have left the church, and I've observed co-workers who have left the church, elders who have left the church, and some of them, I had the feeling, they'd be very successful, whatever they do. Some of the brothers uh, that I knew personally, I stayed with, they came, they stayed with us, they came, had conferences, they left the church. One brother in particular, I was sure he would be successful wherever he worked. But you know, the the amazing thing is, it's obvious really, but it kind of amazed me, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't produce anything. And he left, he died, very sad, I loved him, I, I respected him. I, I admired his skill, his ability, but he couldn't produce anything. He died a kind of a destitute old man. Family divided, wife divided, nothing. When he was in the church life, he had a great service and function. Thinking, and he inherited that from the ministry, of course thinking he was something, and when he left, it came to nothing. So it's really serious. Uh, when, you, when you leave, and I'm, I'm, please don't think I'm trying to threaten anybody. I'm just trying to make the point because this is what this message is talking about. When you deviate and you swerve off and leave, you can't go on. You can't go on. That, that path is a path down and it will be a path of suffering. It won't be a won't be a path of of uh, of blessing. Now look at B. It shows the seriousness of Elimelech's leaving. It says for Elimelech to leave the good land meant that he was swerving from the rest in God's economy. It's really serious, right? God's economy is God's purpose, His intention, and at that time it was to have the nation of Israel as His testimony and build up the temple as his expression. So he swerved from that, thus cutting himself off from God's economy. 
And then this next point, he swerved from Bethlehem. When you think of Bethlehem, what do you think of? The Lord was born in Bethlehem. He swerved from Bethlehem, the birthplace of the coming Christ. Right? In Judah, which is in Judah, the top part of the good land, to Moab, a country of idolatry. So here he is. He's in the good land, and he's actually in the place where the prophecy is Christ is going to be born. But he goes from that top place in Judah to Moab, a land of idolatry. Whoa. This is really serious. Any kind of swerving tends you to some kind of idolatry. Yeah, it might be your degree. It might be your job. It might be your house. It might be your car. You know, Any swerving, taking us out of it, uh, is serious. And then you've got C, Naomi's returning to the Holy Land was her returning to the rest in God's economy from Moab. You know, Moab not only had the source of incest, but it was a country of idolatry. You know, when, when um, she was encouraging her daughter-in-laws to, to go back to their family and their people and to their gods. So look how, look how much Naomi had backslidden in her thought. Even her daughter-in-law says, Oh, you just go back to the idols. But fortunately, Ruth had more light than she had, and she said, no, I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Naomi had more revelation than, uh, Ruth had more revelation than Naomi had. So she returned with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, given to her by God for the accomplishment of his economy. Now, if you, we didn't have the verses uh, included in this, but if you read uh, further on in chapter one, when, when Naomi uh, and Ruth came back, uh, the other women, uh, you know, who were in, in Bethlehem, uh, recognized her and said, Oh, it's Naomi. It's Naomi's come back. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, right? Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. And then she says, the all-sufficient one has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. Jehovah brought me back empty. Jehovah has afflicted me. The all-sufficient has dealt harshly with me. Well, what was she talking about? She went down to Moab with her husband, the two sons. Her husband died. Then the two sons died. She got ground to be bitter, but it wasn't Jehovah's doing. She took herself out of God's blessing. Yet God intended to bless her and use her and even use her daughter-in-law, right? Who became an ancestor of Christ. God intended to do that. How was he going to get her to come back? He had to deal with her. How many of us have swerved and ended up having a dealing? And then the sad thing is you can be bitter. You can be bitter about the elders, be bitter about the ministry, be bitter about witness sleep. Wow. It's unbelievable. Some people who left the church become possessed with bitterness, possessed with it, writing lies, saying all kinds of 
crazy things. We got a we got a sister in Hamilton. She's just possessed with bitterness. And in my understanding of her situation, I don't know that anybody did anything to her. But she ended up leaving the church. I think her husband initiated, left the church. And the only way I can put it down to, you have to build up some justification for leaving God's economy because you can't justify it scripturally. You have to come up with all these crazy imaginations of the kind of things we do in the church life, which you read it. You, and I was in the church life the whole time she was in the church life. I thought, how did she experience those things? I never saw anything like that. It's just like bitterness possesses them. The mind gets all twisted. So don't you think it would have been better for Elimelech and Naomi and the two boys to just toughen up and just go through the famine in the good land than leave God's purpose and put themselves in a position for God to deal with them and judge them. And then Naomi, she's got the bitterness in her being uh, of, of what had happened. Oh, wow. Let's go on. This too serious, this stuff. Let's go and get some good stuff now. Huh? Go to Ruth. Amen. You know, Ruth chose the goal of participating with God's elect in the enjoyment of Christ. And she became an important ancestor of Christ, one who helped bring forth Christ into mankind. This was her choosing God and his kingdom for the carrying out of God's economy concerning Christ. Whoa. So here you've got this Naomi, who's full of bitterness, no reason to stay anymore in, in Moab. Her husband's gone. Boys are gone. She's just going to go back, an old bitter lady, back to, to her hometown. But a daughter-in-law doesn't want to go back to the Moabites, to idolatry. She makes a declaration, I'm going to go with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Do you think there was a positive testimony around at that time? Probably not. Probably not. It wasn't that great. This is the end of the dark ages, if you like. Of, of, of judges. It's in that period. But she's, Ruth, somehow, a bit like Rahab, right? Got the vision. Saw this is where we should be, and she chose that. And because she chose that, it's amazing. Here is a Moabitess, should be barred from having anything to do with Israel, but she chose it, and God received her, and God actually included her in the ancestry of Christ. Well, this shows, this shows. It doesn't matter where we've come from, like we saw with Ruth. You know, we're all Ruth, right? Are we all Deborah? Oh, I was thinking, maybe we're not all Deborah, but we'd like to be, right? But we, we could say... We're probably all Ruth. We are Rahab, and we're probably Ruth. We're the bad, we're the bad girls. Right? <laughs> but we've made the right choice. I'm not sure if I, if I mentioned this publicly, but one of the stories I heard about some brothers working on a building site in America, and one of the brothers who was supervising it um, he had asked a person to prepare some material, and this person measured it, cut it, and ruined, made a big mistake. And then he kind of comes and apologizes, you know, uh, I'm sorry. And the, the brother who was overseeing, he looked at him, he said, we're the wrong person, but we're in the right place. <laughs> right? 
It doesn't matter if you're the wrong person. Make sure you're in the right place. Don't be a good girl in Moab, right? Come back. Come back to the right place. So this is, this is so beautiful. So chapter, chapter 3.3, chapter 2 of this book of Ruth speaks of Ruth as one who had returned to God from her heathen background exercising her right to partake of the rich produce of the inheritance of God's elect. So there was a, there was a uh, ordinance that God made that those uh, harvesting their land, they had to leave gleanings for the poor, right? For the sojourners, the sojourners are the foreigners. So, even in the law to Israel, he made a provision for sojourners to be able to pick up, pick up some of the grain that, or uh, parts of the plant that were, were missed by the reapers and, and for the widows. So here, here was Ruth. She met all three categories. She was poor, she's a sojourner, and she's a widow. So she exercised her right you know, that's a bit like us. We sin, we fail, but the Lord promised forgiveness if we confess and turn to him. So we exercise our right to confess, to call on the Lord, to pray, and we get the blessing. You know, it's, it's, for, it's for the poor ones to enter into this. So Ruth, um, she, went, she went back and A says, according to her threefold status as a sojourner, a poor one and a widow, Ruth exercised her right to glean the harvest. Her gleaning was not her begging, but her right. So she wasn't a beggar. She had the right to go into the field. And if, if you read, and I hope you, you, can, you can read the, the chapter before the next message, uh, the, the book, I mean, before the next message, you, you can see that she went out and she actually started, she started gleaning in a field that was a relative of Naomi's. And he was, he was kind of, um, uh, he, he asked who, who she was. And then one of the men says, oh, this is the one, a Moabitist who came back with, with, uh, with Naomi. And then, then he said, oh, let her keep reaping. Let her keep reading and leave some, leave some. Pull out a little bit. I don't know if you if you know how they harvest in those days. They 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 would cut the, the wheat and then they would bundle it and put it in what they call a stook and they stand it up. They don't cut the grain off, it's the whole stem, and then they bundle it. And so surprisingly, last year when we were in the South Island driving driving back from the camp uh, up up on the, the um, east coast. We passed a paddock that they had the grain like that. Today, normally, it's done by a machine and you don't see it. But it was all these stooks. Um, and so he, he, the law even said, if you're picking up all the stooks of, of, uh, of the grain, if you're, if you're picking them up and you leave one, don't go back and get it. Leave that for the poor. And, and Boaz said, pull some of them out of that and just leave it on the ground. Uh, for for her, so he he was honoured by the Lord because of his generosity and his faith, and he cared cared for the poor ones. So Ruth was Ruth was uh, working, and it's very interesting. The boys, his uh, young men, said uh, she's been here all day, and she only had a little break. She only had a little break. So you you think. What was she doing? She was going over the land, looking for grains or, you know, the, the cut bits of barley in the first time, and later it was wheat. She, she got, got the barley, going over the field, uh, looking for it and, and saving it up, and, and I think came away with a, a, an ether of, of, uh, of grain after her first day. What, what does that signify? That's literally she was bending, 
bending down, picking all the grain off the field. What does it signify spiritually? If that land is Christ, she's laboring on Christ. She's endeavoring to gain Christ. She's working on Christ. You know, sisters, that's your right. You've come back to the good land, the church life, Christ and the church life. You can labor and gain more. You know, she could have gone back and just sat in the house and said, uh, hey, Naomi, this is your place, you know. I don't know anybody, you know. You got some relatives? Go tell them to give us some food. No, she was active. She went out, initiated, and she, she did the whole season. She did the whole season like that. And eventually, and we will see tomorrow, uh, she eventually gained gained Boaz as, as her husband. So B says, God's ordinance concerning the reaping of the harvest was that Jehovah would bless the children of Israel if they left the corners of their fields and the gleanings for the poor, the sojourners, the orphans, and the widows. So also orphans were included. Boaz obeyed this ordinance thereby testifying to his great faith in Jehovah under God's sovereignty. This ordinance seems to have been written for one person. It's just applied to Ruth, or Ruth is the one who who wrote it, (laughs) who who fulfilled it, that, that ordinance. Just as Ruth had the right to enjoy the produce of the good land, after coming into the land, so we have the right to enjoy Christ as our good land after believing into him. So our initial salvation, we believed into him. Now we have the right to keep enjoying him and advancing in our enjoyment of him. Ruth's exercising of her right to gain and possess the produce of the good land signifies that after believing into Christ and being organically joined to him in our, in our joint spirit, we must begin to pursue Christ in order to gain, possess, experience, and enjoy him. Praise the Lord. Like Mark said today, his mother was complaining about using the holidays to, to have conferences and that. Why do we do that? So we can gain Christ. So we can advance in Christ. This is our right. You have the right, sisters, to labor on Christ, to pursue Christ, to gain him. And you have the obligation to do that so that you can enter into God's purpose. Amen. Amen. Aren't you happy? Aren't 